Thank you, Miguel. I always began my uh, presentations uh, with a uh, commitment to what it is we are trying to do here tonight uh, and in general. So I say, all power to the people. All power to the people. All power to the people. That is not only a call to action, it is a statement of value. It is our understanding that we're not going to be able to address the issues that face the people, the challenges to arrive at social justice, uh, to eliminate war, until there is a shift of power from the rulers to the people. I am um, honored to be here uh, this evening with you. Um, I want to thank so much uh, Miguel and the Canadian Peace Congress, uh, the Hamilton Coalition, uh, for pulling together this uh, very important event. Uh, this conversation and the work that's being done here uh, in the city is critically important. Uh, we have been following uh, the events here in this country and one thing that we noticed, and we talked about it briefly before the, uh, uh, the, the evening, uh, that you can have a national election in this country, but yet the issues of Canadian foreign policy, its commitment and support for war and militarism does not even become part of the conversation. Now that we feel is a major contradiction. Uh, it is a contradiction because it corresponds to a similar phenomenon we have in the U.S. where uh, that discussion is now part of the uh, conversation uh, in national politics um, and where people can actually define themselves as uh, radicals or progressives uh, and that uh, bother themselves to deal with the issue of U.S. foreign policy uh, and its commitment to imperialism. And there's a reason for that, we think. Um, you know, we are in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. is a settler colony built on the uh, bones of, of the indigenous uh, and the super-exploitation of Africans. And we're here with you this evening here in Canada, which is also a settler colony with the same kind of, of phenomenon. And so there seems to be a, a joint connection uh, in this sort of um, historical blind spot, this uh, tendency to disconnect uh, current realities in both the U.S. and Canada uh, with the fact that there will be no uh, U.S. and no Canada without colonialism, without a commitment to uh, white supremacy, uh, without a uh, reality of the uh, European Union uh, and NATO and a joint agenda to maintain and to advance uh, the colonial project globally, a project that had its beginnings, its genesis, in the invasion 
of the Americas. So this blind spot, uh, this blind spot we believe is reflective of a, a, of a convergence of interests, uh, of a uh, uh, historical amnesia that attempts to disconnect uh, your current realities from that of its beginnings. And so we have a responsibility, I believe, those of us here in this country uh, and in the U.S., to address that, to reverse it, uh, for our sakes and for the sake of collective humanity. And I want to share just some examples of why that's important. I have a presentation, but I want to deviate from that for a second because we had some very important events. And one major event was the coup that unfolded and is really still unfolding in Bolivia. And I would like to read from the statement uh, that the Black Alliance for Peace uh, submitted uh, this morning. That's going to read, that's going to take us into the rest of my very short conversation. Uh, the title we put out was that the uh, Black Alliance for Peace stands in revolutionary solidarity with the people of Bolivia against the U.S., EU, NATO axis of domination. The Black Alliance for Peace condemns the U.S.-sponsored counter-revolutionary coup in Bolivia. The right-wing ruling elite of Bolivia with the full support of the bipartisan right-wing U.S. government is attempting to reimpose the anti-people authoritarianism that was the norm throughout our Americas during the period, period of unchecked U.S. hegemony. The people of Bolivia entered a new historical era when the largely indigenous movement for socialism, mass, with evil Morales and the leadership disrupted this history of unchallenged U.S. hegemony. However, with the forced resignation of Morales and the physical assaults against the leaders of the mass, the progress made by indigenous and working class people of Bolivia is under serious assault. BAP is not surprised by this desperate attempt on the part of the global reaction led by the U.S. to stem the tide of progressive development. This attempt only confirms why there can be no authentic peace without social justice, and for justice, the oppressed must fight for it. But to fight, the enemy must be named. That, my friends, is part of our comment but it leads into why we, in fact, formed the Black Alliance for Peace. Uh, the Black Alliance for Peace uh, was launched in uh, April 4th, 2017, uh, a few months after the ascendancy of Donald Trump uh, to the U.S. presidency. We believe this was a moment in which it was critically important for us to attempt to try to uh, revive the traditional uh, anti-war and anti-imperialist thrust of the black uh, movement, uh, but we also saw this as an opportune time to attempt to try to rebuild 
the broader anti-war and anti-imperialist movement uh, in the United States. And so we launched this alliance. Uh, we began to build across this country. Uh, we linked up with the uh, anti-war movement and anti-imperialist movement in the U.S. Uh, with the intent of attempting to reverse the very dramatic shift that had taken place in the United States uh, to the right. Uh, under the Obama administration, uh, there was uh, a decided shift um, not only in the black community, but in the society at large, to the right. That the traditional skepticism uh, that the black community had uh, when it, um, uh, regarding uh, U.S. adventurism uh, and imperialist um, agendas that they were uh, supporting and advancing, uh, that skepticism disappeared. There was a complete um, support for U.S. imperialism. Uh, not only in the black community, but again, in the broader society. So we felt that the only way that we could begin to address our responsibilities as citizens and residents of empire was to address that contradiction, to attempt to reverse that reactionary uh, movement on the part of the ruling class. And we have been somewhat successful in attempting to bring back into the center of conversation uh, the absolute necessity for us to oppose U.S. imperialism uh, and war. But we also recognize that we couldn't leave out the historical context. We couldn't leave out the fact that there is, in fact, a convergence of interests and support uh, beyond the U.S., that the U.S. is a leader in the imperialist project along with its uh, vassal states, if you will, uh, Canada and others, uh, and uh, operating through institutions and with institutions like the uh, European Union uh, and NATO. And so we identified uh, what we see as the, uh, the main enemy in this struggle. And we refer to this US-EU-NATO uh, uh, axis as the axis of domination. And we made that connection, and we are making uh, the struggle of focus on that enemy. Name the enemy. So our position, my friends, is that at the heart of our struggle is to make those connections, uh, to identify as the enemy the uh, pan-European colonial capitalist, white supremacist patriarchy. We can no longer avoid that conversation and naming that particular enemy. That is the only way in which we can explain why we have uh, general support for U.S. and Canadian <coughs> imperialism. Why we continue to see uh, Europe as the apex of civilization why it is so easy for the authorities to use a concept like humanitarian intervention to gather uh, populist support for their imperialist adventures across the globe. This notion that uh, Europe represents the apex of civilization, uh, the model of society that everyone strives for, uh, and that uh, those peoples in various parts of the world 
uh, that are in struggle against their government are people who just want to be like us in the West. And they frame that argument in that way to, uh, to generate support for what is essentially a imperialist project uh, that is geared toward maintaining the hegemony of this pan-European project. So we have to uh, name the enemy. This pan-European project uh, emanates from the, the matrix of power that began uh, with the invasion of 1492. In that invasion, we uh, have the material foundation uh, for the emergence of Europe and the continuation of this project. And I'm not going to go into all of the history of this uh, invasion, but touch on some of its ideological expressions. Uh, because it is important uh, to do that because it helps us to understand how they are able to advance of their agenda today. This invasion in um, the Americas uh, was given uh, legitimacy and support. Um, the doctrine of discovery. It said basically that uh, in the Americas there were no people to be concerned with. That it was only about uh, uh, Europeans uh, and those Europeans who were uh, uh, invading the Americas, um, they had a, a, a moral uh, uh, justification uh, for uh, conquering and murdering people and taking territory. We all are aware of the term the manifest destiny. This is a prime. Uh, excuse me, where the, was the murder? Where was the murder? Pardon me? Where was the murder? You said murder? The, the murder was basically there were millions of people living in the Americas, millions of human beings in the Americas. But the European powers that invaded the, uh, the Americas didn't recognize the humanity of those human beings. Therefore, the only thing that they were concerned with was controlling territory. And it meant if those human beings, those non-humans, were actually eliminated, then who cared about that? It was all about controlling the territory in order to extract the wealth from the territory. Once they began to eliminate uh, those real live human beings, uh, they began to bring in other human beings who for them uh, didn't really represent true humanity. And those were the Africans from the African continent. They enslaved Africans to bring them to the Americas to provide what? To provide labor. To, uh, to create value, to create profit, to lay the foundation for what Karl Marx talked about, uh, primitive accumulation, the material foundation for the emergence of capital and capitalism. This was a horrendous crime, uh, a holocaust, if you will, uh, that resulted in 150 million or so people losing their lives. But it was justified by the, 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 the idea or the notion that these were people who were of a subhuman category and therefore their lives meant absolutely nothing. The same thing with the march across the U.S. Manifest destiny was basically the concept that uh, the U.S. territory was a territory that really belonged to white folks. 
belong to uh, this uh, expanding, aggressive, racist uh, colonial state. That that uh, it was a God-given uh, uh, gift to this colonial state to rule over the territory from uh, from the east coast to the west. Uh, another crime that ended up uh, with millions of people losing their lives. All of this was rationalized. Rationalized, irrationalized slavery. It was rationalized ideologically and religiously. Uh, we know that uh, Christianity provided a, a foundational rationalization uh, for this expansion. And we've seen some of the, the, the current uh, expressions. Uh, Orientalism, the way in which they shape and frame how we see uh, people in the so-called Middle East. Again, these are subhumans who, uh, you know, who, who are the, the, the terrorists, uh, who are the ones who use uh, their own people as shields, the ones who fight among themselves for generations and for centuries, as they say. Okay? So this is how these, these crimes are rationalized. This is how they're able to pull support from a public that may not even be completely aware of these systematic crimes. And this is the ideological foundation that we have to confront. If we don't confront and defeat that, then we're going to see uh, the co colonial states of the U.S. and C Canada continually to make uh, to engage in criminal activity uh, with the full support of the public. So this is our responsibility for how we sit uh, in the uh, Black Alliance for Peace. Why do we say this? We say that today uh, the material foundation for uh, white supremacy has been set as a consequence of the U.S. Uh, and, and, and ca Canadian invasion uh, and hegemony in these two settler states. Uh, we know that globally, uh, uh, Western uh, imperialism has a foundation that continues. Uh, we know that uh, U.S. banks, multinational corporations, uh, Canadian corporations uh, still control uh, the economy of the world. Uh, we know that here you have no conversations around Canadian foreign policy, but yet uh, Canada is involved in crimes throughout the Americas. No one's talking about uh, the role of Canadian uh, mining companies in places like Colombia. Uh, no one's talking about the support that uh, the Canadian military gives to, to NATO. Um, that is something that has to be addressed and it has to be uh, reversed. The issue we face, my friends, is that we have uh, a moral responsibility uh, being residents uh, in the states that are engaged in these horrendous crimes. Um, we have to address these issues and we have to expose the logic of what is in play here. That the uh, growing uh, militarism uh, and repression that we see uh, in this country and in the U.S. is not a, uh, the result of bad people. Uh, it's a certain logic in place here. That at the core of 
of this project uh, has been violence and race, as we've already uh, touched on. Uh, and that it is quite clear that the ruling elements see that the only way they're going to be able to advance uh, and maintain their hegemony is through the use of violence, state violence, direct military intervention, and now the new instrument that they are now perfecting, the use of sanctions, state sanctions, a form of warfare, but one in which they don't have to put boots on the ground. Now they can completely uh, lay siege to uh, an economy. Uh, they can um, uh, 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 destroy an economy. They can in, uh, impose policies that result in real death but not define it as war. You know, Barack Obama said that um, the uh, NATO assault on Libya uh, wasn't war. Why? Because uh, U.S. troops were not dying. So they were defining the whole concept of, of war. The use of sanctions in Venezuela resulting in over 40,000 people now dead, innocent people who are now gone, um, this is warfare that no one is talking about. So these are the instruments we've got to begin to expose uh, and begin to build opposition to. Because these folks are doing these, are engaged in these crimes in our names. So elementary um, morality requires that we do that. And we have to do it because, again, it's a material basis. Uh, Samira Mann laid it out very clearly, and I'm going to read this very short quote. He said that the imperialist countries of the historical West, the United States, Western Europe, Japan, do not intend to allow other emerging states to emancipate themselves from the framework imposed by them and to leave the status quo, that is, as dominated peripheries. The tension between the West and Russia and China, Iran, is not a passing phenomenon, but the epicenter of a new violent remodeling of the world for the benefit of the Western bourgeoisie. If these folks are attempting to maintain their hegemony, and they're going to use whatever instruments they have available to in fact do that. The U.S. commitment to uh, full spectrum dominance, the uh, strategy that says that the U.S. will be the hegemonic power on the planet, and that any regional state that, that poses a threat uh, to the U.S. will be identified uh, and attacked and undermined. That was the basis for the, uh, the attack um, on Venezuela. Venezuela was seen as the uh, tip of the spear for uh, transforming um, Latin America. It had to be destroyed. That is the basis of the attack on Libya. Libya was the nation that was driving the uh, uh, process of African unification. It had to be attacked and destroyed. That was the basis of the uh, attack on Iraq. Uh, they wanted to make sure there was no regional power uh, emerging in that part of the world. 
That was the basis of then the attack on Syria because once they uh, uh, destroyed uh, Iraq, they shifted power to Iran uh, and they felt like this was something they had to begin to address so they had to uh, then move on Syria because Syria was seen as part of the axis of resistance. On and on and on. This full spectrum dominance is a uh, ideology, a set of policies that we have to uh, address, expose, uh, and in fact uh, defeat. All pretexts to democracy, all pretexts to a commitment to human rights, all of these are now being jettisoned. There is a naked expression of power, a naked commitment uh, to the use of coercion and power uh, in order to uh, maintain the uh, pan-European uh, project. We see uh, very uh, obvious examples of what is unfolding. We mentioned a moment ago uh, the invasion of Iraq. Uh, this was a, an invasion that uh, was also an experiment. Um, the U.S. not only uh, went into Iraq, but they tried to do something that they saw their uh, friends in Britain and France um, attempt to do. Uh, that is to engage in direct colonization. Now, of course, they screwed it up, uh, but it was uh, 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 an honest attempt to try to impose themselves on Iraq uh, that failed. Uh, they were defeated. That's why they had to withdraw from Iraq. Afghanistan. Uh, they still are in Afghanistan. They're there uh, even though they have been militarily defeated, uh, but they are there in order to uh, do two things. To serve as a, a blocking force uh, for the uh, Belt and Road Initiative from China. Uh, and the fact that there is an estimated uh, over a trillion dollars worth of precious minerals in Afghanistan. And as long as they have uh, U.S. forces there, as long as it's not an uh, effective anti-war movement to force them to come out, uh, they will in fact stay in Afghanistan. The attack on Libya we touched on. Uh, once they destroyed Libya, there was a, a 2,400% increase in the military presence of the U.S. on the African continent. They created the U.S. Africa Command in October of 2008, anticipating uh, the election of uh, Barack, we call insane, Obama. Uh, and they expanded that footprint on the African continent. Um, Syria, uh, we said this was um, a country in the crosshairs because of its uh, resistance to uh, U.S. Uh, and Israeli hegemony uh, in the region. Uh, Ukraine. Ukraine was opened up as a second front in the fight against uh, Syria. Uh, they thought that uh, uh, they were going to be able to bog down the Russians in Syria. That wasn't happening. Uh, so they opened up a second front, basically, uh, in the Ukraine. Venezuela tip of the process of transforming uh, the Americas, but also a key in the support for Cuba. Therefore, it had to be attacked. Iran, the withdrawing of the uh, 
Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action uh, was a policy that the Trump administration pursued, uh, and it was a policy that was uh, strongly supported uh, by Israel uh, so that uh, the Zionist project could, could continue unabated. North Korea. Um, many people believe that um, the opposition to uh, Trump's um, uh, policies with North Korea uh, is short-sighted, um, and they, are, they criticize it and oppose it. Um, they say that there, sh there could be uh, some kind of uh, reconciliation with North Korea, but it has to be on a different basis than what uh, Trump is advancing. But uh, some of us believe that the real issue with North Korea is that there are powerful elements in the U.S. government that don't want to see any uh, peace process with North Korea. Because it's not even about North Korea, it's about China. If there's a, a, a reconciliation, if there's a peace process uh, in, uh, in Korea, uh, in the northern part of their country, then what would be the justification for continuing with uh, 23,000 occupation troops in South Korea and the stationing of, of, of uh, missile batteries that have both a defensive and also an offensive capability, it would be eliminated. Okay? That's why they oppose any real attempt uh, on the part of the U.S. administration to try to uh, reduce tensions uh, with uh, North Korea. The Democratic Republic of the Congo that no one talks about, uh, even knows about. A place where something like over six million people have lost their lives over the last almost two, two decades. And what in essence is a mineral war. The U.S. operating through its proxy uh, states, Uganda, Rwanda, uh, are there to make sure that the U.S. Uh, and U.S. corporations uh, continue to have access to precious minerals that are key for the uh, U.S. and world uh, economy. And we won't even talk about issues like Bahrain and the movement for uh, democracy there, uh, where the people reached out uh, to Barack Obama, uh, you know, uh, begging the U.S. to to intervene, to engage in some humanitarian intervention on the part of the people to support a democratic movement. And Barack Obama said, well, we, we're going to pass on this because we have the Sixth Fleet uh, there in Bahrain and uh, the Saudis are opposed to uh, democracy, therefore uh, we're going to let you, you know, just, we're not going to worry about democracy in Bahrain. And so they left it alone. Same thing with Yemen. That basically you have a, 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 a horrendous conflict, genocidal conflict in Yemen uh, that no one talks about in the media here in this country. This was another one of the wars started by uh, Barack uh, insane Obama. Honduras. Um, we talk about the refugees from Honduras, but people forget that what really precipitated uh, this flow of refugees started right in the first couple of months of the Obama administration's um, administration when they gave the green light uh, to a coup in Honduras that eliminated uh, democracy.
in Haiti. We've seen some of the images, even though, again, you know, most people don't know about the uprising uh, in Haiti, the, the demands on the part of the people for democracy, uh, a country in which this country has played a backward position, a backward role uh, in undermining democracy uh, in that country uh, and continuing to support uh, U.S. policies uh, in that country. The NATO expansion into the Americas, primarily uh, through uh, Colombia, and what we talked about at the beginning of this presentation, uh, the criminal activity unfolding in uh, Bolivia. So my friends, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, in the Black Alliance of Peace, we are addressing these issues, uh, but what we're also trying to do is to make sure that people understand the connections that while we are concerned with U.S. imperialism, U.S. foreign policy, that concern has to be connected up in a way that people in the U.S. understand the relationship. So we remind our folks that we're trying to organize that we are up against a world system, that the militarism and the war, again, this is something that's being pursued because people are bad, but they represent certain objective interests. They represent the interests of the ruling class, the interests of those forces who are committed to uh, maintaining and expanding uh, uh, the colonial capitalist system. Uh, we point to the fact that uh, in our communities we have uh, this astronomical unemployment rate among our youth. We remind people of the fact that we have a record uh, uh, mass incarceration uh, in our communities. Uh, we uh, remind people that you know, they talk about all of the examples where socialism theoretically failed, but yet what kind of lives are we living? Well, we have millions of people who have not had an increase in wages in 40 years. We have millions of people who are, are working in involuntary in uh, part-time jobs. We have you know, millions of people still in poverty. Millions without health care. These are all, this is capitalism. The failures of capitalism are quite obvious. So we remind people of these realities. We say to people that in those realities you have no business uh, joining and fighting uh, in the U.S. military against other working class or poor people around the world. We make the connection by pointing to some of the programs that are ongoing, that are geared toward controlling uh, labor and controlling the population. Uh, we talk about uh, the uh, police killings. We talk about uh, a very innovative program they have in the U.S. called, it's the uh, Department of Defense's uh, 1033 program. It is a program, the program that was used by the federal government to transfer surplus military hardware from the military to the police forces. Over the last uh, two decades, they had transferred something like $4.6 billion worth of military hardware. This is the program primarily responsible for the militarization of the police forces. We point something out to, to people that they don't know about, that 
the Israeli state is involved in training police forces across the U.S. Uh, we talk about the fact that we have these increased surveillance, that we have these things that are called the uh, fusion centers, where they are uh, coordinating all of the intelligence agencies on the local level to uh, surveil uh, and to disrupt uh, political opposition. Um, some of you may have uh, heard about a new category that the FBI came up with in the U.S. Uh, called Black Identity Extremists. Um, this is a new category uh, that identifies uh, people like me as threats to national security. It's a continuation or a contemporary expression of the COINTELPRO program of the 1960s and 1970s. Okay? Uh, these folks are serious about maintaining their hegemony and we have to remind people of that, that basically militarism uh, is rational, uh, has nothing to do with morality. It is objective and that has to be uh, the message we get across to people. So what must be done? War and militarism are rational policies pursued by ruling class elites, supported by corrupt right-wing liberal media, implemented uh, by the military intelligence apparatus. But the people have increasingly demonstrated a desire for peace after almost two decades of constant war. An international movement against war and militarism in all forms of state violence, including the increasing use of state sanctions as an act of war, must be built. And the neoliberal crisis that is seeing a global rebellion must be supported by an aggressive movement at the center of these Western societies. We've seen what's happening in places like Chile. We talked about Haiti already. We've got to support uh, those movements. The anti-war and pro-peace movements in Canada, in the U.S., must at a minimum oppose all forms of intervention. Those of us in the Black Alliance for Peace, we're not confused. We recognize the economic and class interests that underlie capitalist great power conflict and will not be drawn into taking sides with any capitalist national bourgeoisie. BAP is advancing a common sense set of radical demands in order that we assist in the battle over ideals, something that can be done here uh, in this country. For example, we are attempting to try to penetrate the national conversation uh, in this electoral season. And we put together a set of demands that we believe address the issue of war uh, and militarism. We are demanding that all those running for office support efforts to initially cut uh, the military budget by 50% and reallocate government spending to fully fund social programs and realize individual and collective human rights in the areas of housing, education, health care, green jobs, and public transportation. Cut the military. Use those resources to address the human rights needs of the people. We are opposing the 1033 program that I talked about a moment ago that transfers millions of dollars to police forces. We are uh, advocating, and we say any politician, any 
elected representative, any candidate who wants the support of the people should uh, advocate for closing the more than 800 plus U.S. foreign military bases and the ending of the U.S. participation in the white supremacist uh, structure of NATO. We say they should call for and work toward closing uh, the U.S. Africa Command uh, and withdraw all U.S. military personnel from Africa. And finally, we say that with the insanity of the drive toward a nuclear war, uh, they must sponsor legislation and or resolutions at every level of government calling on the U.S. to support the United Nations a resolution on the complete global abolishment of nuclear weapons passed by 122 nations in July of 2017. We offer these uh, demands as something we see as realistic. Uh, they may be reformists, uh, but they provide a basis for a debate and conversation. Um, but we know that uh, imperialism and this drive toward war and conflict is something, again, that's objective. And that any position short uh, that operates in the realm of idealism and ideological mystification that suggests that uh, imperialism would just give up its uh, quest for power is something that has to be uh, addressed and rejected. For us, decolonization and socialist construction are the only routes to power, social justice, and respect for revolutionary people-centered human rights. We agree again with Samira Men that, quote, the possibility of substantial progressive reforms of capitalism in its current stage is only an illusion. There is no alternative other than that enabled by a renewal of the international radical left, capable of carrying out, and not just imagining, socialist advances. It is necessary to end crisis-ridden capitalism rather than try to end the crisis of capitalism." Unquote. My friends, imperialism can be defeated. It is on the defensive everywhere, and that is its weakness. It cannot sustain the one, two, the many body blows from multiple places. And when the working class in the U.S. stops sending its sons and daughters to the military to fight for the ruling class, it will be over. And a new day of freedom and possibility for the people of the U.S. and the world will be born. All power to the people. Yeah.